Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. (coughs) (coughs) And that's exactly how it all started. Well, welcome back this week. It seems like everyone's sick right now. Yeah, flu's hitting us hard here in Ohio right now. Seems like we have more hospitalizations and some pretty serious issues. But if you've been paying attention to news, flu isn't getting the headlines, is it? No, No. we're more concerned about that coronavirus. Correct. Right. So we brought back one of our favorite guests, (laughs) Mary Angela Miller, because she has a story to tell. Well, it did all start with a cough. I was sitting at my counter eating some leftovers from some food that I had. Actually, there were some kebabs from a takeout restaurant earlier in the week. And I started coughing. And right away, you think, oh, what is that? So I reached for my phone to look up the symptoms. Never do that. I know, I know. (laughs) Dr. Google is terrible. (laughs) And often when I sit there in my counter, I read the headlines, right? Mm -hmm. So as you said, what's in the headlines? Coronavirus. So I reach for the phone, and I don't even get to Google to look up symptoms of coronavirus. I work at Ohio State as my other job, and there's an email from our medical folks saying, Here are the symptoms of coronavirus, <laughs> oh, yeah. right? I've had the medical board email. I've had the Ohio Department of Health emails. Mm-hmm. They're all coming at us. We're yep. now even saying when people come into our emergency room, if you've been to China, let right. someone know. Yeah. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. Well, and I hadn't been to China. Okay. But I had been to Las Vegas. Okay? Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Over New Year's, I was in Las Vegas and actually celebrated New Year's in this huge international crowd, right? We're Mm -hmm. at the Bellagio Fountains and we're toasting the new year. Nice. And there's thousands of people from all over the world. And that was kind of fun, Uh right? And then a few days after New Year's, I was in that giant wheel in Las Vegas because my daughter got married and the wedding party was up in, it's called the Link, the High Roller. And you can fit 30 people in each pod. And there were two other international families Uh in the pod with us. And we're gesturing to each other, taking pictures for each other. Okay. But who knows where who knows where right. they were from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I'm sitting there, okay, I have a cough and <laughs> I was exposed to international people, but then I did the math because mm-hmm. the other symptom of coronavirus or how long it takes uh-huh. is 14 days. Okay. And I had actually been back for 3 weeks. Okay. So I'm like <laughs> it's probably just the hot sauce that I poured all over these kebabs that caused this cough, right? right. So, gotcha. Anyways. Well, yeah, we're all on high alert, aren't we? My dad sent me an article from the National Geographic on uh, more Chinese are pushing to end wildlife markets as who declares cor- the coronavirus emergency. And that right. that's triggered me to talk to Amy and say, hey, I think maybe we should be talking about this on our podcast mm-hmm. Because there's probably going to be a lot of questions about it. And then we start thinking about it. And we're like, well, we're not the experts here. Right. <laughs> we have to have Mary Angela with Keep Safe Food back. Um, well, you know, Laura, you sent me that article. And, yeah. and it really made me take a step back and read it. Because uh, several years back, I was actually, there was a newspaper in Columbus called Columbus Alive. Uh-huh. And ironically, Columbus Alive interviewed me on dead roadkill, okay? So oh. <laughs> about the food safety specifically of dead roadkill. And that just reminded me that we can get viruses from animals, correct? So right. so this is a virus that came from an animal and viruses can cause foodborne can cause foodborne illnesses, but they really require a live host 
Uh-huh. So it's not from eating necessarily the virus in the food. It's from handling the animal that or is, food yes. with it. Yeah, so. that's interesting because I think I was assuming it was, you know, that they'd eaten this food too. You right. Know? But it yeah. may be more in the handling. It may have been more of the handling, which makes a lot more sense with what I'm hearing. Well, think right? about norovirus, mm-hmm. correct? It's a virus and it's a common virus in food, but it's not from the food. It's from the handling or the right. contamination True. of the food by yep. a person. So, so viruses can cause foodborne illness, but it's really from the contamination, maybe from the person mm-hmm. or handling the animal mm-hmm. and then yeah. handling the food or handling the animal and then eating. Okay? Gotcha. I mean, there okay. was another virus a couple years ago. Do you remember SARS? Yep. yep. Yeah. So uh, SARS was... And I had to look it up because I couldn't quite remember. Severe or acute respiratory okay, yeah, uh-huh. um, yep. syndrome. And it probably came from bats. Mm. Okay. Right. And then and I also wonder- a, cor- a coronavirus. Right. It's right. also, also a coronavirus. Same, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the other thing I, mean, I think to remember, I had, you know, that coronaviruses are really common. Yeah. And we've all probably had one mm-hmm. at some point in our lives, but we didn't. It's It's a little different than this particular strain. Yeah. Which I think has a name now. You had mentioned that. Right. They Just in the last week, I read that we're calling this coronavirus COVID-19 right. to differentiate it from the other strains of coronavirus, yep. like you said, that, that are around. Yep. All okay. Right. It's almost like the flu. You know, every year we get a new flu vaccine. Sure. Why mm-hmm. is it? Because it's a new strain right. of that flu virus. So right. it's the COVID-19 virus that we're worried about. And... Again, Laura, when you mentioned the animal market, yeah, I went back to see what animals, and I had never heard of these pangolins. Right. Yes, Is I it had to look cat it up or something. Right? Ooh, it's weird looking. Yeah. Yeah, it was scary looking. I only saw one picture, but it was scaly, uh-huh. and it okay. was yeah, and I'm like ooh, yeah, you know. So yeah, it was kind of creepy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well. Yeah, I, I'm not that adventurous with the foods that I eat. <laughs> right. So what were your thoughts on, I mean, thinking back to that article about roadkill? I mean, you know, what, what are your recommendations? I mean, I suppose, you know, if if you hit the deer, you know when the deer was hit. But you right. know, what if you, and I see people, you know, who will, or I'll hear about people who want to pick up the roadkill that they've maybe hit. Uh-huh. What's your idea on the safety of that practice? I know this is such a weird question. It is a I weird question, it happens. But, happens. but obviously, you know, the yeah. question comes up. And also, you know, who wants to waste food? We're mm-hmm. much more conscious of that today. Yeah, so right. so if you hit a deer, right, and you know that then it was a fresh kill, uh-huh. just work with an approved processor. And I believe, you know, there are some wildlife guidelines um, and agencies around that. Okay. So I think that's one thing. But the thing we stress with food safety is know your sources, right? Uh-huh. And somehow I'm just not comfortable with the source of a dead animal, say, on the route, on the <laughs> off side the side of the road, of the road off Route right. 62 where I live. <laughs> so, no, I cannot in good conscience say to scrape that off the road. I don't care how you kill it or, right. or how you cook it. I, I just right. would not eat it because that, that, to me, is not a qualified approved source. No right. way. Right. So, you don't right. know how long it's been there. You don't know yeah. how long it's been there. Right. Okay. Right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, and you have a great chart on your Keep Safe Food website comparing some of these common viruses, such as the cold, the flu, the coronavirus, and food poisoning. Can you kind of get, kind of take us through some of those main differences? You know, I, I would like to do that because when I put my food safety apron on, all right, it is a question I get. How do I know if I have a foodborne illness, mm-hmm. right? And I can see why it's confusing because the symptoms of a foodborne illness 
which can be caused by a virus, as we just talked about, or by a bacteria, right? Um, they overlap with the symptoms of flu mm -hmm. and cold, and in this case, coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So I went to all the official sources, looked up all the symptoms, and listed them side by side. And the reason it's tricky is, let's say you're feeling yucky. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I'm, I'm just not feeling good. I'm achy, right? Well, that could be any of them. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then if you kind of think through then what's next, headache, because I always say let's start at the top uh -huh. okay. and work down. Headache is common to all of them sure. as well. Yeah. All right. But if you move down to your nose and you're sneezing and right. you're coughing and you have a runny nose, okay, that is how viruses are spread. Through right. the respiratory airborne, or the water. Yeah, airborne droplets. and water droplets, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So that probably means you have a cold or the flu. So not food poisoning through any type of sneezing or coughing or... You might catch it that way, but it's not a symptom of it. Interesting. Okay. 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 Because okay. you can spread the virus that way. You can spread it. Yeah. But, but it's that's really not a symptom that you develop yes, in yeah, food. Yeah. So, for example, we had a food service worker who had a norovirus who unfortunately still came to work, and I know that still happens in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. If they coughed on my food, I could still pick up norovirus that yes. way. But the symptoms then move down. Right. Okay? Because I think it's a food-borne illness. Yeah. It's in the food. So it primarily usually affects you in the gastrointestinal tract. Yep. So you have abdominal pain. Mm -hmm. That might be a food-borne illness. You have watery or severe diarrhea. Mm -hmm. That's probably a food-borne illness. You have vomiting. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, you know, kids sometimes get a little vomiting when they uh -huh. have um, the flu. But the severe vomiting that's more likely a foodborne illness. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And so often, if I say if it's above the neck, it's probably a cold or a flu. If it's below, it's probably a foodborne illness. And then that chest piece, that's more likely a cold or flu, especially like mm -hmm. shortness of breath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you've got something else going on mm -hmm. that's getting serious. Make sure you, you, know, you, you get right. some treatment for that. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think this is a very helpful chart, and we'll make sure that our listeners have access to it at the end of the podcast. Yeah, right. you can download it for yeah. free from the Great. Keep Safe Foods website. Wonderful. So the incubation periods are probably a little bit different. You mentioned the the way you felt relieved about coronavirus is that you had been home for three weeks. Yeah. And so we know that <laughs> what they're saying anyway is that with 14 days, right. um, it's what they're people keeping people quarantined who mm -hmm. come back from overseas. And that's a mess, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> But what about the difference between that, for example, and regular flu and then also like foodborne illness? How quickly can those things occur? Okay, so I think a lot depends. I th the cold, you know, you can, you can develop cold symptoms with a few days, right? Mm -hmm. And I think also with the flu, usually you can develop flu symptoms after you've been exposed to it anywhere mm -hmm. up to a couple to two to four days, right? right. Uh, coronavirus, we mentioned, we think it's up to 14 days. It may develop sooner, right. but after 14 days, mm -hmm. you should be in the clear. The challenge with foodborne illness is there's so many causes. Right. It can mm -hmm. be caused by over 20 to 30 different bacteria or viruses, right? Mm -hmm. And some of them will show up within an hour. And mm -hmm. something like hepatitis A, it can be four weeks. That's crazy. It is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. So how do you know? And right. people always think, and I'm going to tell you as a food service director for many years, <laughs> they always think if they've got a foodborne illness, they think it was their last meal, mm -hmm. and they think it was their last meal at a restaurant. Right. Okay? Yep. Um, but, <laughs> and it's hard to even remember 
what you ate yesterday sometimes, let alone a week ago, yeah. let alone four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So the foodborne illness piece is just really tricky. It's hard to know. Usually the only way you know for sure, stool sample, blood sample, depending on the cause. Uh -huh. And most people don't go to that right. trouble right. unless there's a big outbreak. Okay. okay. Yeah, true. Because you mostly start. don't seek medical care. You're right. not going to have the sample right. provided. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important to treat the symptoms. Right. Okay. So when we think back to like recalls of things like romaine lettuce and, and those types of things, mm -hmm. how did they decide that that was the, the vector? I mean, how did they decide that was the, <laughs> the problem? Yeah. You know, the, the CDC or the Centers for Disease Control is the one who tracks that, mm -hmm. right? And those of us that are in the healthcare field, mm -hmm. if we get a report, all right, of a foodborne illness from two or more people, then we are required to report that. Okay. Same like if the physician's office starts to see people, correct? Uh -huh. and, yeah. and then so you get the local health department involved. Okay. And if you start to see people with the same symptoms and you look for commonality, but it is fascinating the detective work uh -huh. they do to work backwards because if you can get these people in, and if you can get a stool sample, and then you're looking for that strain. Uh-huh. And if it's something like romaine lettuce, and that, the last, I think, two outbreaks were from California, where we grow a lot of it, mm -hmm. right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, they have to look for that strain around the country. Okay. So they're looking for that specific strain of um, whatever organism or virus or, you know, um, whatever it might have mm -hmm. been caused, to see if it's common, and then they see if they can trace it backwards. It's very complicated to do. I would think so. Yeah. Because, I mean, people are also notoriously bad at remembering what they've eaten. Yes. Right. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I could tell you the last time I ate romaine lettuce. I mean, maybe right. a couple of weeks ago. I don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Um, right. So it would be hard well, for me to think back and say, yeah. oh, it was that, and try to pinpoint it in a group of people to say, mm -hmm. oh, you all ate romaine lettuce on, you know, within right. this time period, so it must be that. Yeah. Right. I think about my my lunches that I bring to work. I, I bring salad kits, and it's a mixture of lettuce, too, so I think sure. it might be getting even more complicated it than we think for It is getting very them. complicated. Right. Wow. Right. Okay. So you have to be careful with that. The other thing to think about is it's not always the food, it's the person. Uh -huh. Right. So you could have people at a restaurant each have a different entree, but let's say the same sick worker handled each of those foods, oh, yeah. then it's not necessarily the food, it's, it's the person. location. <laughs> so that's another thing that complicates that because we often think of it as the food, but it often can be the same food handler mm -hmm. because we just talked about viruses. Live mm -hmm. host right. needs a person. That's how it's spread, not necessarily the food. Yep. So how long should a food service worker stay out of work if they are ill? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so much pressure, especially in these maybe chain restaurants, to get people back to work or sure. come to work when you're sick because they have no sick time. Right. I mean, I'm hoping in hospitals and things like that we're not doing that kind of thing. But I would imagine in the fast food restaurants or you have teenage kids who don't understand mm -hmm. that they are contagious. Um, I mean, what would your recommendation be for how long, like a, who's somebody who definitely thought they had a, a norovirus or something, they need to stay away from work? Laura, I'm going to tell you that that is one of the most challenging parts yeah. of it, is that, because I teach food safety as well, um, and when people often come to sick and they're supposed to report to you that they have an illness or if somebody in their family and we're supposed to send them home. But you're right. Most people don't tell you. 
It, right. it is really one of the challenges. Yeah. And so as a good manager, we're supposed to go around and watch for symptoms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, you know, with yeah. all the other things that go on in that environment, yeah. it is tricky. But if you have one of the common or the, I don't want to say the common, there are certain organisms that you're required to stay home until you've been cleared by a medical professional. Hmm. But for some of the more common ones, it's at least 24 hours, and then it'll say and or cleared by their medical professional. But some things Hmm. like hepatitis A, very serious. You know, you have to exclude those from the work area um, right away. The challenge is you can be contagious for a couple weeks before you show symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it all goes back to trying to prevent it in the first place. Okay, right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I guess that's another struggle is, you know, how do we deal with businesses that don't give sick time? How do you get, you yeah. know, yeah. I, that's, I, I really feel for food service workers who are not making a lot of money. Right. They who, can't afford to not go to work. Right. Or they're worried about their job security. Right. Um, I think this is something that right. we need to deal with and talk to businesses about. I mean, I, just, I can't imagine their intentions are bad. They don't intend right. to spread foodborne illness, but it's going to happen. You know, it, in my job, I'm not handling food. Okay. But we have that issue. Our PTO, our paid time off, and our sick time are all lumped together. Are, yeah, I can see that. And I, I can understand completely when, you you know, you mm-hmm. don't want to use up all your time off for, because you're sick or feeling right. under the weather. Right. And it is a struggle, and we just at least have to make sure we're not giving people an excuse. The word is not excuse, but we want to make sure that we have the right policies in place. We can't uh-huh. force people to take advantage or right. force them to use their sick leave. Well, in some ways, I can send them home, perhaps. Right. But you want to make sure at least that we're not, that we give them enough sick days right. so that mm-hmm. that's not a reason not right. to report it. Right. So it's interesting that someone, you know, could be showing up to work for a week's with as a carrier and mm-hmm. not have symptoms and not know yes. that. that. Um, but then afterwards, if you do get sick, I've always heard if you have a fever, you need to give it 24 hours without a fever before returning. Right. That school. almost goes back you know to our I mean? mom, our yep, daycare, or, my parents' days, yeah. right? <laughs> so is that still the case? Or right, usually symptom-free for 24 symptom-free hours, right. And fever's without a Without medication, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so all symptoms, though? Like, that's the thing is if you're sneezing and you're coughing and, you know, are you still spreading that mm-hmm. after? For some, and it, it, when you go through the lists, you know, like I said, there's 20... 30 different causes, mm-hmm. right? They're different for each one. Mm-hmm. So for some symptoms, you have to isolate them, but you can isolate them in the workplace, such as maybe in the dish processing or the dishwashing dish washing room. Mm-hmm. You can put them on the dirty side. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, yeah. But for most, you want to exclude. And the other situation is if you take care of high-risk populations. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I worked in a hospital. Yep. Obviously, we served high-risk patients. Um, in a daycare, children are more um, right. yeah, yep. susceptible to mm-hmm. foodborne illness because their immune systems may not be mature. Uh, let's say you're in a senior center, mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. thing, that um, they may not have as intact an immune system mm-hmm. as somebody younger and healthier. Mm-hmm. So in those situations, you should always exclude the worker, always exclude the worker because you're serving a high-risk population. So. Or do we need to start walking around more with masks and rely on... What's well, your gonna, thoughts on, ask like, about masks? Barriers and, yeah. and, and gloves and masks. I mean, right. how effective... I've heard various exactly. information on how effective masks are as compared to, like, a flu vaccine. 
uh-huh. um, versus, oh. right. <laughs> well, you know, we, we go through this in, yeah. in healthcare where we go into rooms mm-hmm. where people have the flu and we're wearing a, a, a mask with a face shield. And right. that's considered our, I mean, we all, you know, hopefully been vaccinated, but that's considered our protection uh-huh. um, to not then, you know, catch the flu from a patient. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, we know a vaccination is not necessarily always going to work depending on the flu, flu strain, right? Right, right. Um, it's not treating their correct right. strain. Yeah, it won't work. Yeah. But it will work against the strains that are in there. Right. So, right. so but it's no guarantee, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, often masks, I mean, I'm not a mask expert, but often masks are almost to protect somebody else from getting yours. Right. Maybe, you know, so you they might get it on their hands perhaps, but they, they wouldn't be inhaling it. Um, I think the more important thing is the hand washing and the gloves. Um, so gloves yeah. are not a, a replacement for hand washing, as right. we know. Oh, yeah. um, but they should, and they should be changed every time you wash your hands, mm-hmm. uh, or every time you would wash your hands, you should change your gloves. But hand washing, you know, is, is serious even as this um, COVID nineteen coronavirus is. The number one thing they tell you mm-hmm. is wash your hands. You yeah. mentioned I, something about airports. Yeah, I saw an article the other day that was talking about the number one thing we could be doing to help spread or so help stop the spread uh-huh. of these types of viruses yeah. is to wash hands at the airport. Mm-hmm. And I think the statistic in the article was, and we'll put this in our show notes because it was such a great article, um, that, you know, 60 or 70 percent of people in the airport wash their hands after they go to the bathroom, which is good. Uh-huh. But of only those, half of those people don't wash them long enough. Right. That requisite 15 seconds uh-huh. that we're supposed to, the f- singing happy birthday or whatever right. you're supposed to do <laughs> when you're washing your hands. So you think about maybe only 35 percent of people are washing their hands correctly. Correctly. When you go to the airport, and mm-hmm. so when you think about it, and we know that planes are not getting wiped down. I mean, right. they will tell you that. They don't do that. Right. Um, and you mentioned you had been on a plane the other day I was, and watched a woman, like, wipe down her right? seat. And I'm like, I should do that. I know. I, I did. I was like, she had a, a sanitation wipe, and she wiped down that tray. Because you always put the tray down when you can, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and they serve a snack or a drink or something. And, yeah, she wiped hers all down. And I'm like, darn it. I had my hand sanitizer, and I was using my hand sanitizer, but, you know. You yeah. weren't thinking of the context. Or right. Exercise. There was a good reminder. Yeah, it was a good reminder. So let's talk about some high-risk foods, because this started me thinking and going down the line of thinking about sushi. <laughs> well, Laura, when you when you called me, I, I thought that was a good question, and so I did some research on sushi. Here's the first thing that popped up. Chinese restaurants, especially in some of the major cities like New York, uh-huh. Their customer volume has tanked. <gasps> Interesting. Really? I know. Interesting. And it's, it's not really a risk, right? Right. But behaviors don't necessarily follow what makes sense in terms of risk. So those aren't no, those aren't sushi restaurants, but it's kind of sad. Yeah. You know, because yeah. we're just thinking, oh, Chinese Chinese restaurants right. don't, don't eat go eat Chinese. there, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but the sushi question, because we do we t- do talk a lot about raw food and raw seafood as risks when, you know, I teach food safety. Yeah. One of the things I learned that it's almost the sushi rice that's more of a risk. And they treat it because they treat it with vinegar. Okay. Or okay. some type of acid to kind of flavor it a little. Yeah. And before they wrap it in the rolls or whatever. But that might be at room temperature and they're using the acidity rather than the temperature to control the safety. So that's one point that you want to make sure you go to a reputable sushi restaurant that knows how to handle their rice. But then you look at the the raw, you know, the seafood that might be in there. And 
the big risk with that is parasites. Because parasites, especially yeah. if you look at where does seafood come from, the mm -hmm. sea, you can't really control that water. Yeah. And parasites are, can be more common in raw seafood than other foods. But it's the freezing that might kill the parasite. Mm -hmm. So that's right. why you want to handle that sushi safely. It's the freezing that will handle the, the parasite or hopefully kill the parasite if it's present. And that's more if it's, if it's really from the ocean or sea. So you want it frozen. You, you want, want it frozen at a certain temperature for a certain point, number of your days. Your sushi has been right. frozen. Yeah, at some point. Okay. Unless it's from an aqua farm where they control the water. Ah, okay. okay. So okay. they control the water and they control the food that the seafood eats, eats. that becomes your sushi. Uh -huh. And that's a much more controlled environment and much less risk for foodborne illness. Mm -hmm. okay. So those are the things that you would look for. But I wouldn't, at least right now, we're not seeing a coronavirus or a COVID-19 risk with sushi. So this right. would only okay. apply to things like that are truly raw, raw yes. tuna, those types of things. Um, if you're just getting like a California roll with vegetables and rice, the bigger concern at that point is the rice. And that was a learning. That, that was that a learning. Is interesting. I love that. Right. Because yeah. that's yeah. the one I like to eat. I Good. Like, I <laughs> right. If you're not crazy huh. about the, the, I'm not crazy about the raw, raw stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah. I've gotten plenty of rolls that are not raw uh -huh. um, that, you know, yeah, you don't think about. You think, well, that's, I mean, right. I, I don't like the taste of it if it's warm uh -huh. you know that's that mm -hmm. kind of weirds me out a little bit yeah. but if it's been well chilled you know I think oh this right. is okay but I didn't even think about rice as a as a problem there and you're saying just to be clear because I'm a little confused that if they're using the vinegar that's what you want with the rice well or, or some I don't sort of I've never prepared sushi rice but Apparently, you know, because it has that nice texture that's kind of moldable, you uh -huh, know, whatever. Yeah. It's not like when, if I was going to try to make that at home. But apparently a lot of sushi rice is treated, maybe it's even rice vinegar, I don't know. But it's uh -huh. the acidity that helps control the bacterial growth. Right, because yeah. right, anything you put vinegar in is is helpful to prevent right. bacterial growth. Right, it removes one of the, remember Fat Tom? From food safety, these are the the kind of things that oh contribute to the environment. So it could be some foods are more accessible, oxygen, or right. A would be you know the atmosphere or okay. whatever, yes. um, and temperature and time. Okay, uh -huh. but the um, A in fat Tom means acidity. Okay. Right. Or okay. the pH. Yeah. Right. I had, to, I had to sit there and go through the alphabet yeah. in my mind for a minute. And the other two are oxygen and moisture. So, okay. but yeah, so the acidity and yeah. sometimes can help prevent because the organisms don't like to grow in it. Right. Right. But let's go back to that toxin piece. Okay. Because okay. that's not on this chart. That is off the chart. That's not, gotcha. that's a bizarre kind of thing. And if you get any type of neurological symptoms, after hmm. eating food, especially seafood, and there are strange ones like reversal of hot and cold symptoms or numbness, yeah. you, you go see a doctor, uh -huh. right? Yeah, because yeah. those neurological symptoms could be a sign of toxic poisoning. Right. Okay. Right. So gotcha. that's not on this chart. That's right. not your gotcha. common bacterial or virus. Right. That's one of those one of those thirty things, but they're rare, but they're serious. Right. Okay. So we want that we want them to use the the vinegar for the acidity, but they should still keep it at a good temperature. Yeah, because that's not going to kill a parasite. Right. It doesn't replace. Right. Yeah. It doesn't replace. Yeah. Good, good sanitation right. practices. Yeah. And good, yeah. And good, yeah. <laughs> temperature practice. Right. Just something that you know you can't help it gets in there, but if you see those symptoms, you see a doctor. Okay. Wow. Fortunately, huh. more rare. Right. And we should probably talk a little bit about incidents mm -hmm. because 
I think you mentioned yeah. at the beginning, Laura, it's all about the coronavirus, it but is. how many people has it killed in the United States right. so far? Right. We're Knock on zero. wood. Knock on right. wood. Zero. You're right. Zero. right. And it, that, that's not to diminish, you know, how sad we feel for the deaths that yes. are occurring in other parts of the world. But we think that up to 25,000 people could die this year from the flu in the United States yes. or from getting sick be after they get the flu because it could, you know, Trigger go on to else. pneumonia or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. So it's it's really important to keep that in mind yeah. and to wash your hands, not just to prevent coronavirus, but right. to prevent the flu. Yeah. Um, and even foodborne illnesses. Yeah, I was surprised at that with your chart. It's 3,037 food poisoning estimated deaths. Every year. Every year. Yes, from a foodborne illness. Wow. And that's only the ones that the CDC tracks. Right. The ones that you and I get that never report mm. because they're mild, uh -huh. Right, and didn't re result in this, uh -huh. um, those aren't reported or captured. But those are 3,000 or so that we can trace right. back to a foodborne illness. So that's still well ahead of what we're seeing in our country for a foodborne, I mean, for, um, you know, a corona or other type mm -hmm. of virus. Right. So let's kind of wrap up maybe with your top three steps for prevention of any kind of illness this winter as we head into spring. And um, what are the things that you recommend most? Well, you know, we've, we've referred to them, I think, as we've walked through mm -hmm. here. Most important, wash your hands. Wash your hands. You know, washing your hands wash safely. Your hands well. <laughs> yeah, 20 to 20, 20 seconds overall, 10 to 15 seconds of good scrubbing. Use soap. Use a single-use paper towel, mm -hmm. you know, or a hand dryer. Um, so that they really dry. That's that's just number one. And then, Two, then can you compare that to hand sanitizer? I mean, do you, I, I've heard washing your hands if you have, you know, visible dirt. But, you know, I mean, we hand sanitizer in and out of every room yeah. at the hospital. Um, you know, is mm -hmm. that similar to hand thumbs washing? Up for your, thumbs up for that. Right. I'm going to tell you <laughs> that or for Amy. Um, washing your hands, you have it right. You want to wash your hands if it's soiled. Right. You want to use an alcohol base above 60% if you're not soiled. And it's great for um, scrub in, scrub out, or sanitize mm -hmm. in, sanitize out. But from, from a food safety perspective, we always say wash your hands and then use the sanitizer and then put oh. on your gloves. Okay, Yeah, oh. so that's just how the food um, laws go right now. Mm -hmm. um, you want to cover your cough or anything that's going to share respiratory droplets. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is self-isolate. Okay, uh -huh. if you, your yeah. child is sick, don't send them somewhere where they can spread it right. because it's going to spread like wildfire. So right. that would be my third suggestion. Mm -hmm. You can find all these um, hints and all the symptoms. Again, if you check out Keep Safe Foods website, mm -hmm. I've got a downloadable form for you. Um, so please check it out and subscribe. Well, thank you for spending, t uh, again, just another half hour with us. So many good <laughs> tips yep. um, that Very I just, timely. right. And then, you know, because we were talking about this the other day, yeah. and I said, I don't feel like I know enough about this right. to talk intelligently about it. And, of course, so we were like, we ought to call Mary Angela. And she's, so, like, right. and she's already all over it. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, so great. We so we appreciate uh, your no, time. It's, it's always <laughs> good to get this information right. out there right. because it is confusing. Right. It, it is. is confusing. It is. And just a reminder, you can join Angela on Facebook at Keep Safe Food. Yes. Um, and then you can join her website or subscribe to her website. Um, you can also um, visit us on Instagram at The Secret Life Dietitians or on Twitter at T Dietitians. And we look forward to seeing you uh, wherever you get your podcasts. 